1: In in my mind, if Fort Washington illustrates Washington's greatest failure, his his greatest tactical failure, you know, it also highlights his greatest
0: eventual
1: strength, um,
0: resilience. That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor Derek Lapp talking about one of General George Washington's worst moments, the fall of Fort Washington. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is sponsored by the University of Pennsylvania Press, publishers of Captives of Liberty, Prisoners of War, and the Politics of Vengeance in the American Revolution by T. Cole Jones, available wherever books are sold. Hello ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. On today's episode, our guest is Derek Lapp, Journal of the American Revolution contributor, and author of a new article focusing on what he calls the Bunker Hill Effect, uh, perhaps a reason for one of George Washington's greatest lapses as Commander-in-Chief during the American Revolution. Derek Lapp is going to give us some interesting insight into doing something that a lot of us, as a rule, either don't like doing or or maybe afraid to do, and that is criticize the decision-making of George Washington. It's a very thoughtful article written by a military man, as we'll hear in the interview from Derek Lapp, Uh, and he gives very great uh, insight into why Washington does what he does uh, and really how he's criticized, and sometimes rightfully so. He also lets us see how Washington learns from his mistakes. Please check it out at www.allthingsliberty.com. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Derek Lapp. Derek Lapp, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Brady. Tell us about your background.
1: Well, um, my day job for the last 20 years or so, I'm in um, logistics and supply chain. I work for the company that um, supplies wooden pallets. Um, But prior to joining that company, I I was uh, an officer in the United States Army and I was commissioned out of Virginia military Institute where I majored in history. Um, I have a master's degree in history as well. And and, in both of those undergraduate and graduate degrees, I've uh, concentrated in the American revolution. Um, I consider myself kind of a a rank amateur, but, uh, you know, I I love the subject and it's, um, something that I think I'm able to engage in uh, part-time. Um, a few years ago, I decided to try writing a little bit, doing some articles. Got some encouragement from a great guy, um, Charles Nemeier, who's the uh, director of Marine Corps history down at Quantico. He wrote uh, "America Goes to War," which is a study of the Continental Army. And um, that encouragement uh, got an article published. And um, since then, I've I've uh, sort of come across the Journal of uh, American the Mer- Revolution and sort of found an intellectual home it's a great site and i love it
0: what first drew your interest into this topic um
1: the the subject of my graduate thesis was um a study in the officers of the uh continental army um specifically the maryland line and several of those officers in my my um study pool um Participated in the Battle of uh, Fort Washington, so I um, had a a, a number of notes on on the battle, and uh, I had a a thought that it would be kind of fun to do, um, you know, a a tactical study of it. I thought it would make an interesting topic, and I I had a first thought of doing a you know more of a traditional drum and bugle approach to the to the battle, but then. it it occurred to me that um, it would be a worthy kind of a study in Washington's leadership and decision-making. So that really got me going on that uh, uh, topic for the article.
0: Before the fall of Fort Washington, how did people generally view George Washington's record as a military leader?
1: Well, you know, prior to the revolution, Washington's experience was really limited to the French and Indian War, and more of a frontier kind of experience and you know uh, he was sort of even responsible for starting the whole thing at uh, Jumonville Glen. Um but he showed remarkable coolness obviously in the uh helping the British recover from Braddock's defeat on the Monongahela and you know all these events people read about so he was he was sort of a known quantity in the in the colonies of course. Um the largest unit he commanded prior to 1775, um, however, was the Virginia Regiment as a militia colonel. Um, so he, he was a known quantity. He really didn't have a lot of experience with large units, but um, you know, there was a, definitely a learning curve that was going on there. Um, but Washington, you know, he presented himself as a military man. He was tall. He was genteel these expert horsemen, you know, these are all attributes that especially 18th century folk expected of a military leader. Um, obviously there were more experienced leaders available to the Patriots at the, at at the beginning of the the war. He you had Montgomery at Gates, Charles Lee, um, you know, but Washington, he was a, a native born American. and he was a Virginian. So he helped make the, the effort continental, um, I think he proved himself by uh, helping the, the mob of farmers around Boston really coalesce into an army, um, and he had success in that, and he also had success in, in ousting the British from, from Boston. So he was, he was doing pretty well, had a good head of steam going into 1776, where things started to get rocky was um, going head-to-head in the New York campaign itself.
0: Give us some background information, if you could, on Fort Washington. What was its strategic value and why was it built?
1: Well, Fort Washington sat in the, the northwest portion of Manhattan Island on um, what's called the uh, Harlem Heights. And it's, its purpose, its really its sole purpose, was to defend against the British Navy advancing up the Hudson River. Um, sometimes contemporaries call it the North River. And um, on the opposite shore, on the opposite bank, on New, New Jersey side of the river, sat uh, Fort Lee. Originally, it was called Fort Constitution. And together, these two outposts formed the anchors for um, a string of defenses that were sunk into the river. Unfortunately, around early november uh the British were able to pass up the river and and, and really rendered both fort washington and fort lee uh uh irrelevant at that point
0: What key decisions did Washington face when he was defending the fort
1: well it's interesting he um in in seventy seventy nine washington sort of uh it was laid out in a letter. Um a lot of the factors that, that that went into his his thought process regarding um for washington um, one of the things that that he, he listed out was the fact that congress was was opposed to the uh, well he felt a, a lot of pressure from congress to hold on to to new york um uh, he also was concerned about losing. Um, the line of communications between different parts of his army on both sides of, of, of the river. Um, he also admitted he was listening to some of his subordinate leaders, um, Nathaniel Green especially, um, entertained really a, a, what he called a good opinion of, of the post. Um, and probably what was weighing most of on his mind at the time, he writes in this this laundry list of of reasons is that um, he didn't want to waste what he thought was the end, you know, the coming end of the campaign season, without a, a general action that was really uh, almost that knockout punch. He was always, you know, hoping to, to be able to prove himself one on one on the on, on on the battlefield against Howe in a real up and down battle. Um, so he didn't want to waste the, uh, campaign season, um, or part of what I contend as well. And in, in addition to that laundry list, I think in, in, Washington's mind, he really did believe that the, the ground was, was strong. Fort Washington was well-positioned, um, where it was on the heights of, of, of Harlem and that he could with, actually withstand a, uh, a direct assault.
0: How did the attack on Fort Washington play out?
1: Yeah, so um, in, in essence, William Howe, who's was the British commander at the time, threw about 13,000 at Fort Washington in four columns. Um, it's interesting how sometimes he's criticized, you know, the his criticisms he receives during the New York campaign is that he was um, slow to move and, and, and oftentimes didn't follow up when he had the advantage. Um, that really wasn't the case with Fort Washington. I mean, he he hammered it um, and hammered it hard. Um, and unfortunately, you know, the Americans had less than three thousand positioned uh, to defend the fort, so uh, they were they were greatly outnumbered for one and. And they were in a unique position too, because that that three thousand or so was really too much for the fort, but too little once um, they were spread out in in different readouts about the um, fort uh, to to be effective in in uh, countering the assault. So, as I said, they had too many to be in the fort and too few outside the fort, and as a result, um, how is forces were were really were able to easily roll up the Americans. The only real resistance that that they they found was at the uh, the northernmost redoubt, which was held by uh, a regiment of of uh, riflemen from Virginia and, and and Maryland, and they were up against uh, uh, the Hessians and it was a good two-hour heated exchange, but unfortunately, the the rifles just gummed up, and and the effect their effectiveness wore out, and even that part was was overrun. So, uh, within a, a matter of hours, the British were able to to surround the fort, had the Americans penned in, and and the commander on the ground, Colonel Robert McGaw, who's from Pennsylvania, really had no other choice but to to capitulate. Um, It was unfortunate Washington wasn't able to pull off a miracle similar to to what had happened at the Battle of Brooklyn because it it just happened too fast.
0: How was George Washington criticized after this defeat?
1: It actually gets quite a bit of criticism. Um, For instance, in Congress, uh, Charles Carroll of Carrollton wrote to his father. He found it odd that the garrison... Should be uh, any kind of garrison should be left at the post because it was so, in his words, so little capable of withstanding a siege. Um, it gives you the, the opinion of some in Congress and you know, Washington's own adjutant general, Joseph Reed, who, a member of what Washington considered his professional family, um wrote to General Charles Lee lamenting that. Uh, uh, we found uh Washington to you know, have an indecisive mind. Of course, th- this letter exchanged between Lee and, and Reed actually uh gets inadvertently placed in Washington's hands. He actually sees it, so I mean, he he knows what what people are, are, are criticizing him about. Probably the, the, the uh, harshest criticisms come from Charles Lee. Um, he writes to about everybody, whether it's uh, in Congress or his colleagues, about how poor he found Washington's decision to hold hold the fort was. Um, you know, one of his famous lines he, he writes to uh, Horatio Gates, and he refers to Washington as that certain great man who's found to be damnably deficient. Um, and, and Lee, you know, he got to give him credit, he even chastises Washington, directly writes to, to Washington and admonishes him and says, you know, why are we, I, were you over-persuaded by men of inferior judgment? Um, so Washington did catch criticism, and, and rightly so, I, I think.
0: I think as a general rule, we don't like to, or maybe feel uncomfortable criticizing George Washington. Um, But who were his most vocal critics after the defeat and did their complaints have some merit?
1: It's really what what was the impetus to me doing the article. Um, You know, Washington was on the ground two days before the assault at Fort Washington occurred and, uh, you know, as the senior commander on the ground, he owned it. Um, he couldn't keep pawning it off onto onto McGaw or Green. Um, and, and, and one of the things about the whole Fort Washington affair that resonates with me um, is a lesson from from my you know experience um, in the Army. Uh, one of my brigade commanders impressed upon me you know, when I was a a young second lieutenant who was Derek, you know, as a leader, as an officer, you can delegate authority. You can empower your subordinates, but not responsibility. The old adage is the buck stops with you. And, and that's the case. I see it with, with, um, the battle of Fort Washington, he was on, on site. In fact, it, you know, had, had crossed the river and, and observed the, the situation and the, the next day moved further inland, was actually headed down to uh, Perth Amboy to, to um, uh, check on uh, some soldiers that were reinforcements from the, the Continental Flying Camp. So um, he, he, he was a little detached where he should have been far more involved, in my opinion.
0: Your article focuses on what you call the Bunker Hill effect. Could you explain what that is?
1: So, yeah. Um, well, at Bunker Hill, uh, General William Howe, uh, he wasn't uh, the overall commander yet, but he was in charge uh, of the forces, of the British forces at the battle and, and actually led three charges up Breed's Hill, um, Breed's Hill being the, where the actual fighting took place, right? And the the, the, the British were... They were shocked by both the carnage and the level of defense that the Americans mounted against you know, really what was the most powerful military on the planet. And the argument is that uh, how, who was really miraculously one of the, the only British officers either not killed or wounded in those assaults, you know, was so impacted by this experience that you know, he would avoid direct assault on Americans when they were in a well-positioned defense. This is the, the Bunker Hill effect, if you will. And you know, there's some examples of this, right? When Washington secures Dorchester Heights in March of 1776, Howe declines to, to attack, he bans Boston. Um, when Washington withdraws from New York City, um, he withdraws up to the Harlem Heights and the, there's some skirmishing but how again declines a frontal assault, opting instead to to fight the Americans by going to the White Plains and um, you know, following the first day's actions at White Plains. Um, how again dec- declines to, to, to do a frontal assault against um, entrenched Americans um, who had uh, miraculously fortified. Uh, North Castle Heights, and the famous anecdote about them pulling up corn stalks from the field and, and, and setting up so that the, the clods of dirt were facing outward and it looked like a, a miraculous digging in. But again, um, in Howe's mind, they were well entrenched in he declines to, to, to assault. And so my suggestion is that while Washington really wouldn't have articulated as you know, the Bunker Hill effect, it was in his consciousness um, a couple of times in his general orders, he actually um, invokes uh, the action of Breed's Hill to inspire his troops. And writing to John Hancock, he uh, he um, sort of justifies or maintains the position that you know, the rough and strong grounds that the Americans have, have, have uh, held have been the reason why the British have not had more success against the Americans to that point um, and, and Washington also seemed you know particularly impressed with the grounds themselves at Harlem Um he noted to his brother that um, in his words that they were uh, well calculated for for defense and, um, when he was occupying the ground he was encouraging his his soldiers that they He thought the Heights could be defended against double the force that they had to contend with. So uh, this this Bunker Hill effect is is how I describe the the confidence that that Washington seemed to have in uh, Americans entrenched in a good defensive position.
0: How does this topic help us understand the Revolutionary Era better?
1: Well, the fall... The the fall of Fort Washington in those five weeks or so that, that followed, this is really the 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 nadir of of the American cause. Right? This is when things are probably the most grim. I mean there's gonna be more tough times and setbacks as as the war drags on. But this was as pretty bleak as it could get. I mean, Washington started the campaign um the New York campaign in uh mid seventeen seventy six, about twenty thousand or so, man. And he's down to just a handful of a few thousand as he retreats through the new through New Jersey as a as a result of of all these losses that culminated in, in, of course at, at um Port Washington. And I mean, Port Washington represented a, a a significant loss too. I mean these were you know, dearly needed soldiers—about three thousand—that um, are that are made prisoners. Um, not to mention, at, at at both Fort Washington and, and its uh, counterpart across the river, Fort Lee, the loss of you know, tons and tons of material um, and munitions uh, that were captured by by the British. So this is a big setback. And but. You know, Washington and, and the few that were with him at this point, they persevered, right? And uh, they crossed the Delaware. They regroup. They're going to strike back. And in, in, in my mind, if Fort Washington illustrates Washington's greatest failure, his, his greatest tactical failure, um, you know, it also highlights his greatest eventual strength. Um, resilience, you know, the strategic resilience of holding on, realizing that so long as he can maintain his force in the field, this rebellion is still alive. And so I think this is a crucial moment in Washington's development. And then it's where he's in the middle of a a pretty significant uh, learning curve, but it's it's a crucial moment in his development as the commander-in-chief. That's what I think this this period actually helps us
0: in understanding the the revolution itself. Derek Lapp, thank you for joining us. Brady,
1: thanks. This has been awesome.
0: The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.